Welcome to the Michigan Constitution Podcast, where the citizens of the Mitten State seek the pleasant peninsula between their state and federal identities through a deeper understanding of how Michigan's Constitution and its defining case law affects their everyday lives. Your host, Tony Snyder, is a licensed Michigan attorney with more than a decade of experience in private and government practice. Through this podcast, you'll better understand the unique characteristics of Michigan's supreme law and probably learn a few fun facts about federalism, too. And now, Here's Tony. Welcome back to episode 30 of the Michigan Constitution podcast. In today's podcast, we're going to continue our discussion on Article 1, Section 11 of the Michigan Constitution. If you're growing weary of this article and its section, I totally get it. I have this podcast and one more to record regarding this provision. Now, up to this point, we've discussed searching your home, your vehicle, your person, and your personal effects. This time, I want to drill down a bit further when your person and when your personal effects are going to be searched for such things as what we call exigent circumstances. But before I do, your spoonful of legalese. The purpose of this podcast is merely to teach you what's in the Michigan Constitution. Each podcast will review a different article section, we'll talk about what it means, and we'll review Michigan case law, which helps us to better understand the effects of those constitutional provisions. Here's what this podcast is not. It is not legal advice. It is not legal expertise. Although I am a licensed attorney in the state of Michigan, I make no warranties as to the veracity of the statements I make within this podcast. First of all, I don't practice constitutional law. I practice administrative law. Second, the laws change on a day-to-day basis, as does case law. What might be applicable the day I make a statement about the Michigan Constitution could very well be outdated the day I post this podcast. If you think you're going to become a Michigan Constitutional Scholar because of my podcast, you're sadly mistaken. You'd do better with a Ouija board and a Magic 8-Ball. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you need Michigan legal advice, you would be well served to contact the State Bar of Michigan and ask for their lawyer referral service program for a referral to an attorney who specializes in your legal matter. This is another one of those cases uh, which made its way through the Michigan Supreme Court system and ultimately makes its way to the United States Supreme Court. But before the review by the United States Supreme Court decision is done, we first need to learn what the Michigan Supreme Court does in this case. And that's exactly what we do in the case of People v. Tyler, a Michigan Supreme Court case from 1977. Here's the fact pattern you need to know. A fire broke out shortly before midnight on January 21st, 1970. The fire department arrived soon after, and the fire chief discovered and seized two plastic containers, one partially filled with a flammable liquid before the firefighters left. And that's very important. Let me say that one more time. The fire chief discovers and seizes two plastic containers, one partially filled with a flammable liquid. Now, by 4 a.m., the fire was completely extinguished. The premises were thereafter left unattended until about 8 a.m. when the fire chief returned with an assistant fire chief, and together they briefly surveyed the interior of the building. The officials again returned to the scene of the fire between 9 and 9.30 a.m. and discovered a thin linear burn in the carpet of one room. The burn encircled the room, went through a door, and continued down a stairway to an exit. Pieces of carpet and wood containing the burn marks were removed, and the trial admitted these over an objection from the defense attorney. 
The next thing I want you to know is that a police sergeant returned with defendant Tyler three days later, so essentially January 29th, but no evidence was then obtained at that time. The sergeant returned again without Tyler three weeks later on February 16th and took more pictures and removed part of the fuse found in the building and several pieces of glass, which were also admitted in evidence over the objection of the defense. Now, what I like about what the Michigan Supreme Court did here is that they explained how the United States Supreme Court has created three different styles of search warrants that could ultimately be issued. The first one is a regulatory search, which is simply an inspection that is a crucial part of the regulatory scheme. But the United States Supreme Courts have said, If an inspection is to be effective and serve as a credible deterrent, unannounced, even frequent inspections are essential. In this context, the prerequisite of a warrant could easily frustrate inspection, and if the necessary flexibility as to time, scope, and frequency is to be preserved, the protections afforded by a warrant would be negligible. Look, this is something we've all come to know and understand. Things like random inspections of a movie theater or at a mall or other places where firefighters ensure exits are not blocked and fire extinguishers are maintained and the like. In light of the public nature of the premises and the relatively unintrusiveness of the inspection, a warrant may not even be required. Essentially, this is the lowest level of search performed by folks who traditionally aren't police and they're not looking for evidence to arrest someone. They are truly there simply to inspect the safety of the public in that building. Now, the second kind of search is the so-called administrative search. The United States Supreme Court found that when an investigation is to determine the cause of a fire, so perhaps we're talking about faulty wiring or a malfunctioning furnace, perhaps a, a, a natural gas leak, to ensure the cause of that fire is truly extinguished and won't flare back up, we're going to require a greater degree of probable cause to obtain a search warrant, even if the law enforcement officials aren't looking for evidence in a criminal matter per se, that doesn't mean the government can go searching a building without a warrant. And the United States Supreme said, We cannot agree that the Fourth Amendment interests at stake in these inspection cases are merely peripheral. Inspections of the kind we are here considering do in fact jeopardize self-protection interests of the property owner. Like most regulatory laws, fire, health, and housing codes are enforced by criminal processes. As can be the case under state law, Refusal to permit an inspection is itself a crime, punishable by fine or even a jail sentence. Listen, the idea here is you've got law enforcement officials going into people's homes. We consider a person's home to be the utmost sanctity for privacy, and even if a fire is being inspected, you're going to have to get a search warrant before going through that person's house. Now, this doesn't mean that the bar is set terribly high and, you know, a great deal of probable cause must be proven before a, a search warrant can be issued. But you can't just walk through the person's home without a warrant. The court has held that probable cause for an administrative search would be determined by a less rigorous standard than in criminal investigations. Probable cause to issue a warrant to inspect must exist if reasonable legislative or administrative standards for conducting an area inspection are satisfied with respect to a particular dwelling. Such standards, which will vary with the municipal program being enforced, may be based upon the passage of time, 
the nature of the building, for example, a multifamily apartment house, or the condition of the entire area, but they will not necessarily depend upon specific knowledge of the condition of the particular dwelling. Therefore, a warrant for an administrative search could be issued when reasonable legislative or administrative standards designed to permit fire officials to conduct investigations of the causes of fires to, you know, prevent their, their reoccurrence. It is apparent, the court went on to say, that with probable cause, although a lower threshold to meet, and without any sort of exigent circumstances to be found, then a warrant will be required if the investigation of a fire is to determine the cause of the fire under investigation and does not yet place anyone under criminal investigation. So, does this make sense? The idea here with this second level of, of search warrant eligible to be obtained does impose an extra step on police and firefighters. Between when they put out the fire and when they start searching through a person's home, they first must obtain a search warrant. Now, the threshold to show probable cause to a judge to justify the authorization of that search warrant may not require a great deal of evidence. The law enforcement officials still, though, have to receive permission by a neutral and detached judge who believes there is value in authorizing said law enforcement officials to search the home after a fire. Then, the third kind of search is the criminal investigation whereby officials are seeking evidence to be used against a person in a criminal prosecution. Maybe said more matter-of-factly, when the police are looking for evidence which can and will be used against a defendant in their criminal trial, we've reached the highest standard of probable cause required. Such investigations, the court has said here, require warrants based on probable cause to believe that evidence of a crime will be found. The reason for breaking these into a regulatory, administrative, and criminal search is the relative intrusiveness of the search. A routine inspection of a person's home after they install new electrical wiring is a far less hostile intrusion than when a police officer is searching for evidence of a crime. The differing probable cause requirements reflect the greater need to protect against the more extensive and more intrusive criminal investigation searches, our Michigan Supreme Court held. In our case, having lawfully discovered the plastic containers of flammable liquid and other evidence of arson before the fire was extinguished, our Michigan Supreme Court said you already had the fire chief focusing his attention on assembling proof of arson and beginning his criminal investigation. At that point there, the court held that probable cause for the issuance of a criminal investigation search warrant was created. Evidence acquired while firefighters are lawfully on the premises putting out the fire is admissible under the plain view doctrine. So let me be clear, there was nothing wrong with the fire chief finding those plastic containers of gasoline. They're, they were left out where everybody in God could see and find them. So there's no problem with that being brought into evidence to use against our defendant Tyler on his arson case. However, and ironic really, the finding of those plain view plastic containers is exactly what triggered the need for the fire chief to get a search warrant to poke around to find additional evidence that indeed the fire was arson and not an accident. So, I have to concede, listeners, 
I was on the struggle bus to agree with this line of thinking by our Michigan Supreme Court. But then they said the following, and it completely changed my mindset. They said, Simply because a person's home or place of business has been burned does not mean that he has no expectation of privacy regarding whatever of his possessions remain. A fire is not an invitation to any or all people to enter to satisfy their curiosity or for any other purpose. It does not open the property to public scrutiny. The property continues to be protected by the law from looters and by the law and the Constitution from scrutiny of governmental officials. Now, that paragraph was really intriguing to me. The idea that simply because you had a kitchen fire or a bedroom fire or, you know, what have you, does not mean you lose all sense of privacy to the remaining non-fire scorched portions of your home. Now, maybe if the entire house burned to the ground and there was nothing remaining but a rubble of ash and metal and dirt, could you say you no longer have a privacy interest in your home? But the Supremes pointed out, personal papers, family heirlooms, and other objects may survive a fire. The owner has a justifiable interest in protecting such property. Although the premises may be uninhabitable, personal possessions may remain undestroyed. Now, unless uninhabitability becomes tantamount to actual abandonment, there may be a a justifiable expectation of privacy. But nothing in this fact pattern here with this case showed there was any uninhabitability nor abandonment of the store had ever occurred. So in conclusion, the Michigan Supreme Court said the standard of probable cause, which will have to be proven to a judge for a search warrant to be issued, will vary depending on the nature of the post-fire search. If the authorities are seeking evidence to be used in a criminal prosecution, then there must be enough probable cause shown to the judge to believe evidence of a crime will be found. However, when the cause of the fire is undetermined and the purpose of the investigation is simply to determine the cause and prevent such fires from reoccurring, well then a lower administrative search may be conducted pursuant to a warrant issued in accordance with the reasonable legislative and administrative standards. Now, to be clear, the Michigan Supreme Court expressly states that if evidence of wrongdoing is discovered, it may be used to establish probable cause for the issuance of a criminal investigation search warrant and or be given to the prosecution to use against the defendant. So let me say that one more time. If they're engaging in administrative searches and they happen to find something that would go toward a criminal case, they can still use it, but much like with these plastic containers with gasoline, that's likely going to be the trigger where they have to go back to a judge and get a different warrant, in this instance, a criminal investigation warrant. So, in closing, the Michigan Supreme Court said the warrant requirement protects individual privacy from unrestrained exercise of governmental power. But then Michigan versus Tyler gets appealed to the United States Supreme Court for their review. The United States Supreme Court wanted to see how our application of our Article 1, Section 11 from the Michigan Constitution does or does not align with the United States Constitution's Fourth Amendment. Listen, let me just rip the Band-Aid off right now and say the United States Supreme Court backs the Michigan Supreme Court decision when it gets to them in Washington, D.C., 
What's really interesting, though, is and to be very clear, this was not a clear cut case in the eyes of the United States Supreme Justices. To the contrary, it broke down this way. Conservative Justice Potter Stewart wrote the majority opinion of this case with which liberal Chief Justice Berger and conservative associate Justice Powell concurred all the way through from beginning to end. Then you get Justices Marshall and White. They agreed in part and they dissented in part. Justices Stephen and Blackman agreed with the author of of this uh, majority in a different part than did Marshall and White but also dissented for other reasons. God love Justice Brennan. He took no part in, in the opinion, although it's not stated why, so we don't have to worry about him. And then Chief, excuse me, just at that time, Associate Justice Rehnquist dissented to the entire outcome of the case. He would have overruled the Michigan Supreme Court if he would have uh, been able to wrangle up a majority decision. So to some degree, you can argue it was a 7-1-1 decision. Seven in favor, one not participating, and one totally opposed. But that's simplistic because at no time were seven justices truly all on the same page. Again, three justices, Stewart, Berger, and Powell, were always on the same page from beginning to end. But then you have two justices, Marshall and White agreeing with the other three justices, but never along the same lines as what justices Stevens and Blackman agreed to. So you did have a fair number of sections throughout the opinion, which did garner five justices out of nine supporting it. But this opinion really is like a patchwork quilt whereby we've got five really liking this part, then a different set of five justices really liking a different part. And again, God love Justice Brennan who did not participate in Justice Rehnquist for 100% opposing the entire opinion. It makes those two and their views, uh, well, quite frankly, irrelevant. Okay, so let's get to this case. Remember, It was defendant Tyler who won at both the Michigan Court of Appeals and the Michigan Supreme Court levels. So he's not the person appealing this case. It's the prosecution, you know, essentially the state of Michigan saying to or saying about the Michigan Supreme Court that they essentially, quote unquote, got it wrong. Because remember, it was the Michigan Supremes who ruled, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, hey, law enforcement, if you're going to go into someone's house, you're going to need a warrant. But the Supreme Court of the United States isn't buying what the prosecutor's selling. The justices said the prosecution is making a losing argument trying to say a homeowner doesn't have any reasonable expectation of privacy to their house when they've had a fire. The Supremes even say that many homeowners go on living in their house or working in their office even after a fire occurred on the premises. Conversely, even when it is impossible to live or work in a structure damaged by fire, private effects often remain on the fire-damaged premises. But all that being said, the United States Supremes ruled the prosecution's argument is irrelevant to the question at hand, because the real question is, when going through a home damaged by fire, is that warrantless search reasonable within the meaning of the United States' Fourth Amendment? Ultimately, the answer is no. It is not reasonable to search a house without a search warrant, the court said. Once it is recognized that innocent fire victims retain the protection of the Fourth Amendment, the rest of the prosecution's argument unravels. For it is, of course, impossible to justify a warrantless search on the ground of abandonment by arson when that arson has not yet been proven, and a conviction cannot be used ex post facto 
to validate the introduction of evidence used to secure that same conviction. What the Supremes are saying is that there is no reduction in a person's reasonable expectation of privacy simply because the official conducting the search wears a firefighter uniform rather than a policeman's uniform. It makes no difference that the firefighter is there for the purpose of ascertaining the cause of the fire, not they're looking for evidence of a crime. So maybe said another way, firefighters and police officers are both agents for the government. Sure, they're agents for city government, but government is government. And the United States Supreme Court reiterates their love for the three different classification of cases which will require probable cause to get a search warrant. Remember that uh, a regulatory search, it's an administrative search, or it could be a criminal search, depending on the you know intent of why that government official is there. But ultimately, a search of private property without proper consent is unreasonable unless it has been authorized by a valid search warrant. The showing of probable cause necessary to secure a warrant may vary with the object and intrusiveness of the search, but the necessity for a warrant persists. Listen, if you just rob a bank and the police follow you from the bank as you're running back to your home and they see you run into your home and you shut the door, there are exigent circumstances there. They are allowed to go into the home without a search warrant. That's not what we're dealing with here. What we're dealing with here is they're trying to determine whether there is arson that took place. And for them to be able to go into the home to determine whether or not there was arson, there's no exigent circumstance. They've they've had days and then later weeks that they are coming and going from this particular place. The Supreme Court is saying they should have been they should have gotten a a search warrant at some point to be able to start getting in there because at a minimum, they were doing an administrative search at first, but let's be real honest, listeners. Do you all agree with me that this was truly a criminal investigation that they were that they were ultimately conducting? But I do have to say the United States Supreme Court does ever so slightly tweak the Michigan Supreme Court's opinion. Our Supreme Court of the United States justices said that it appears the Michigan Supremes aptly point out going into a home to battle a fire does not require a search warrant. A house on fire is the epitome of an exigent circumstance, which would not require going and getting a search warrant to enter the home before dousing the flames. I mean, duh. In the time it would take for a firefighter to go and get a judge to sign a search warrant to, you know, allow them to go in to put out the fire. Well, the whole damn house is going to wind up having burned down in the meantime. So so the United States Supreme Court says Michigan Supremes, you know, right on, right on, right on. You, you got that part perfect. But SCOTUS goes on to say that they believe the Michigan Supreme Court ruled a bit too narrowly. See, the Michigan Supreme Court said that when the fire ends, that's when the firefighters need to get a search warrant to proceed with the search. But not so said our highest court of the land, they held that officials need no warrant to remain in a building for a reasonable time to investigate the cause of the fire once it's been extinguished. The warrantless seizure of evidence while inspecting the premises for these purposes is constitutional. So what are we saying here? What we're saying is because the firefighters don't need a search warrant to go into the home for the sake of putting out the fire in the home, while the firefighters are still there in the home after the fire has been put out, they still may look around without a search warrant. It's really more once they've left the premises and decide to come back at a later time. And here's the problem, friends. The court said a reasonable amount of time. So 
How long they can be in the house is not exactly a bright line rule to tell us, nor is how long after they've left the premises does all of a sudden it not become reasonable to go back. But if based on this case, I have a sneaking suspicion the firefighter is likely going to get the warrant regardless to ensure that whatever evidence they do obtain doesn't get thrown out. So to conclude, the United States Supreme Court ruled in favor of defendant Tyler. They said that entry into a home to fight a fire requires no search warrant. More so, once in that building, the officials may remain there for a reasonable amount of time to investigate the cause of the blaze. Now, thereafter, any additional entries to investigate the cause of the fire must be made pursuant to a warrant under the heading of, at least, an administrative search. Evidence of arson that is discovered during the course of an administrative search will be admissible at trial. But if the investigating officials find probable cause to believe the arson has occurred and thus requires further access to gather up evidence for a possible prosecution, then the law enforcement officials must obtain a warrant upon the traditional showing of probable cause, which is how it works for all cases regarding police searches for evidence of any particular crime, let alone arson. Does this make sense? Because the United States Supreme Court is trying to give some guidance to police and firefighters on what level of probable cause they're going to be facing, depending on the reason that they want a search warrant. If you want to go through a house to determine what caused the fire and you don't have any reason to believe a crime has been committed, you simply need to prove the lower standard of probable cause for an administrative search. However, if you find two plastic containers of gasoline, thus leading you to believe the fire may not have been accidental, well, you're going to need to prove the higher standard of probable cause before a search warrant can be issued. Before I close out on this case, and ultimately this podcast, I do want to highlight Justice Rehnquist's dissent. After all, he's the only justice of the nine who flat out opposed this decision and would have reversed the Michigan Supreme Court's holding. Heck, he couldn't even get one of his colleagues at any point to sign on to any portion of his dissent. So I wanted to at least highlight, you know, very high level, 30,000 feet, what Justice Rehnquist's problem was with this particular ruling in this particular case. He said that the record seemed to show that defendant Tyler knew about, acquiesced to, and joined in the searches. Justice Rehnquist even pointed out that substantial damage was done to the store such that it was not able to be used. Additionally, the fire department, not defendant Tyler, had to lock up and secure the heavily damaged building. Justice Rehnquist hinted that it's possible, based on the lack of actions taken by defendant Tyler, that perhaps Tyler simply abandoned the store building altogether. And if that's the case, then he holds zero right to privacy in the building. Lastly, Rehnquist pointed out that based on Tyler never objecting to the law enforcement officials coming in, you know, coming and going essentially from the store, it could be believed that Tyler gave a blanket approval for searches to be conducted. But, to be clear, Justice Rehnquist was the only person that made those arguments, and this was very much in the minority when it comes to nine justices. What I wished he would have addressed perhaps a bit more clearly is the majority opinion talks about law enforcement firefighters coming into a person's home. That was the basis upon which the entire opinion was written, was when can 
and you know, maybe they use the term house a bit flippantly. Maybe they meant it more in the concept of a of a structure, not necessarily a home, but words have meaning. And if the word home is used or house is used or dwelling is used, I consider that to be a person's resident or residence. What I wish Justice Rehnquist would have delineated a little bit closer was the fact that this particular building that defendant Tyler set on fire, or at least <clears throat> allegedly set on fire, was for insurance fraud to collect from the, the arson of his building. Thus, he would be able to collect not just all of the ruined furniture within the furniture store itself, but he was also able to collect on the building's insurance. To what degree do we can reconsider the majority's opinion when we're talking about a commercial building versus a person's home. And, and I really thought that that was where Justice Rehnquist was going to go with it because he very clearly kept stating this person's building, Tyler's building. Tyler kept going back to the store, right? That is not a person's residence. So listeners, this is what's fun about the law. There's not really a right or wrong answer per se, but these are the things that I need you to start thinking about. All right, you know what? That's definitely going to do it for episode 30. My, my head hurts, and, and I bet yours probably does too a little bit. So we're done. We've got one more uh, podcast that I'm going to highlight Article 1, Section 11's provision of the Michigan Constitution. And, and then we will, we, I, we really will be done with, with this section, I promise. I really appreciate you sticking with me. This is the most number of podcasts I've done on any one uh, subject, but I think it's fascinating, and I think you folks probably do too. So with that, if you'd like to reach out to me, uh, you can do so either at TonySnyder.com or I'm on the Twitters. I am at Tony Snyder, and I'll talk to you next time. The Michigan Constitution podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not offer legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. This podcast is hosted by Tony Snyder. For more information, visit TonySnyder.com, send an email to podcast at TonySnyder.com, or follow Tony on Twitter at Tony Snyder. Catch new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. Thanks for listening.